Hello again, gentlemen. Welcome to the first day of Thatch's Thatch Can Style Wrestling. There's a lot of glare coming off that dome of yours. Squirrel nut! What does WrestleMania mean to Brock Lesnar? It's a day that I get to show up, kick somebody's ass, and get paid to do so. Crying out loud, he can't use a thing with you swearing like that. I don't give a damn. I came up here for a purpose to prove some son of a bitch and thing. And I'll tell you what I came to prove, that Lawler didn't have the guts. I'm back. And I'm back for you. I'm not gonna lie. I'm back for me, too. Hey there, folks. Welcome to We Don't Know Wrestling, episode 113. I'm your host, Sam DiMaggio, and once again, we're in breaking down my top five things of the week. Apologize for not doing an episode last week. It was my wife's birthday week, and just got very busy. It was a great week, though, so I'm not complaining. Next week, I'm going to meh, uh, Anaheim, California. Uh, for the lovely VidCon event. So, no episode next week since I will be out there all week long. But with that, let's hop into number five. I'm watching Grind Wrestling on the award-winning independent wrestling TV. Grind Wrestling out of the New England area. A scene which I find interesting in the sense that in years Previous, it would have definitely been just beyond wrestling, and it has definitely taken a whole new form over these past couple of years via the pandemic in some ways. Um, even with WWE not hoarding as much talent between that and AEW, there's not a lot of rising stars in a in Beyond Wrestling outside of maybe an Alec Price, whom I don't love necessarily, but you have folks like Limitless putting on good shows. And now you have Grind Wrestling, which I don't know what kind of tier you would put it on. Is it a B minus C plus sort of tier? Where they put on a lot of fun looking matches where you get to see Travis Huckabee, a really strong technical wrestler that doesn't get to wrestle anywhere else after Jakara went under for whatever reason. To my understanding, he's not a bad person, so I don't know why he's not getting those opportunities. It's kind of a bummer, but at least Grind Wrestling gives you a hub to have these nice little displays, even if they're not real humdingers. He has a match in January with Perry Von Vicious, who I don't think is like this uber-skilled dude, but large, lanky, and knows well enough how to use his body to put on some good performances. He also has a good match against Jay Freddy, he has a match against Big Beef, Gnarls Garvin, which is okay. I think they both kind of run into similar issues where they can wrestle a little too light or even, which should, in theory, work for two bigger wrestlers going at each other, but for whatever reason, they just didn't quite mesh. I wish they would have really stiffed each other up, broke, knocked, their, knocked their jaws loose, but not quite. Thought it was still, it was an all right match and nothing that I regret watching. And then you have Rip Bison from versus Brandon Williams from March, which is another 
really fun match. I like Rip Bison quite a bit for someone that's just kind of limited. Someone that's like, oh, I'm I'm just throwing pretty big lariats and do enough of the actual grappling to make that all work. So I think there's something to be said about someone that understands their limits and works within them. And I think he's got that. Brandon Williams, he's fun. He's a little technical, not wizard, but a little gadget. He knows a little few enough tricks to make any match he's in interesting. So I'm excited to see how he continues to grow. He's got so much potential, but he's having so many fun matches right now. Nothing that I'm going to put on my match deer list, maybe, but a lot of stuff like, ooh, yes, I would like to just consume this this morning as a little tree, as a little cereal and Brandon Williams little. And we also have Perry Von Vicious. Again, I think he's he is a definitely a mainstay of Ryan Wrestling against Jay Freddy, former 2CW wrestler, 2CW, my former home promotion before they went, what ender is not the right word, but cease to exist. And it's kind of a, just a big versus little match, but wrestled a little bit even because neither wrestler has any uh, desire to not do that. But Jay Freddy kind of cut from the Davy Richards sort of mold, Eddie Edwards mold, where he just kind of wrestles at 100 miles per hour, which I've just come to appreciate like, oh, wrestling can actually just be boring if these folks aren't just trying real hard. Even if it doesn't always work, rather these folks just try really hard. But in general, grind wrestling just seems to be a supply of pretty fun wrestling in a venue that doesn't really have a lot of character. But it's like, oh, this is cozy. This was independent wrestling's all about. It's not in it's just in a large room with a it looks almost like a church gymnasium to some extent. I don't know exactly the name of the venue, but doesn't have a ton of character, but has enough coziness to it. Next up, number four, want to kind of bring up where AEW is at to me with the Will Ospreay debut last week. I don't know if I'm on board with this promotion as much as I was. With Forbidden Door coming up, a show that conceptually doesn't really ring with me, I was already like on the fence knowing that a month and a half was going to be dedicated to sort of this event that didn't hold a ton of dream match potential to me, even in the best case scenario. And Will Ospreay debut in AEW was always kind of a a nightmare scenario as it seemed to preclude that a lot of my worst expectations of that promotion were to come to fruition. And looking at this upcoming AEW card that is airing right as I'm recording that might be a great episode and I'll look like I have pie in my face. Doesn't have a lot going for it outside of a 20v1 plaintiffs versus Warlow match. Warlow continues to be the coolest thing on that professional wrestling show. But you also have the weirdly conceptualized All-Atlantic Championship tournament that really doesn't seem like it has any sort of meaning as far as who is fighting for it. Even just this tournament where Ethan Page versus Miro are wrestling. A waste of Miro if there ever one was one. Then you have a hair versus hair match with Chris Jericho and Ortiz. Neither wrestler is really in tip-top form. Even if Chris Jericho is on some sort of run when he's with there with in there with greatest wrestler ever type wrestlers. Uh, Tony Storm versus Britt Baker. If you put Britt Baker on my TV, you might as well just put me to sleep. 
Jurassic Express versus Young Bucks in a ladder match. Jurassic Express is not good. I know there have been people say, yeah, they're actually good, but it's just a stale. I don't think they're good. I think they're pretty bad. And neither team winning makes me feel good. We had two great options previously with Swerve and Keith Lee, as well as Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs. And they've already decided that Swerve and Keith Lee is kind of a done experiment for now. And then you have an Osprey match versus Dax Hardwood. We'll not watch an Osprey match. He is a, Osprey is a morally bad person to be kind of supportive of. But he's also just not a very good wrestler, which I know that feels like, well, it's easy to be criticize a person's morality when they're a bad wrestler. But yes, that's also that is true. Um, both can be true. And I wouldn't just wouldn't want to watch that. And we have a Hiroshi Tanahashi and John Moxley face to face. Something that I truly could not care about. That match it will probably be good. I have no interest in it as a headlining main event for a a big card like this. So that's unfortunate. But I'm just worried that Osprey is kind of the the flag to signal, hey, this is sort of the direction we're going in. If you if you don't like it, you probably should get off. And the way that Tony Khan talks about himself in all these interviews and where the directions are going, it just feels like maybe there's a little bit more, too much confidence of where things are heading. And I'm, I'm real stressed about that just because AEW has been something I've mostly enjoyed. And I'm excited to see what they can do with Ring of Honor and stuff like that. There's only two promotion, major promotions out there at the end of the day, and I would like one of them to be good. So my hope is this is not long-term, and that after Forbidden Door, we can get back on track and kick those folks out of here and keep chugging along. We shall see. All right, I've been doing a little Japanese wrestling watching this week, and by that I mean I've been watching Kode Nazaki. Nazaki? I don't know how to pronounce the name. I deeply appreciate apologize he is a meatball of a wrestler which is a format of pro wrestler that i love it is deeply warming to my heart to see a wrestler who just has the form of the state of marshmallow man and he kicks butt he just has this swarming mentality like a uh, ryota hama but probably a foot smaller not as husky but his arms from bicep to essentially hand stayed a pretty consistent with the entire time. Just like sausage tubes for arms. And he just looks like, okay, this you do not want to be stalked by this man. If he puts you into a corner, you are in a world of hurt. And this week, particularly, I watched his match with uh, Hidamaru Sasaki, a wrestler for, this is for, Kaiyushu Pro Wrestling. They have it on their YouTube channel. I think it might just be a fun promotion that I enjoy. But particularly these matches with these wrestlers and versus the Ladette folks. The Gleet folks. Uh, I think he's a really decent one of these. He is in the mold of... They're against Minoru Tanaka and Sama Watanabe. He's in the mold of a Minoru Tanaka, but... Maybe in the older, an older version of him. Um, I'm not a huge Minoru Tanaka fan as a career goes, but that's because he really meshed junior wrestling with shoot wrestling. But I don't think he was like a particularly amazing 
shooter and don't think he was a particularly amazing junior. So it kind of made for an odd combo uh, versus Koji Kanemoto, who I think is excellent at both. Excellent at both versions of that game. But the older he's gotten, where he's not been tempted to do some of the junior stuff, he can kind of just be back to basics, more grounded. It's a really enjoyable match. Uh, I think when Nazaki is in there, it has this really mentality that something could happen at any moment. Where anyone else, like, yes, there might be a slippery submission that pops in there, but there isn't a wrestler like him who is going to chuck the opponent into the air drop him right on in his neck. He gives that sort of sense of danger that, okay, if he just gets his hands on one of them, we could be calling night-night. So that's great. We also have him versus Kota Omeda uh, from May 1st from Kyusha Pro Wrestling. Omeda being back, uh, formerly of DDT, I forget the reason why he was out. So apologies. Someone's going to be like, how could you not remember he was injured or he had this morality crisis but for whatever reason it was uh, he's back now at least for a little bit of time and this match is not super great it is fun you wish i mean it does not look like he's super comfortable in there as far as delivering some of the performances he was previously getting his feet underneath him i think nizaki is a good wrestler to do that against uh because it's a, it's a strong base to work off of. Someone that doesn't need to do a lot to have this compelling wrestling match. And then Omega can just throw out these still nasty looking kicks. You can still do the Shibata level kicking, the old school Kenta level striking to bring his side of things. He doesn't know how to string that all together like he used to, I don't think. And transparently, Nizaki might not be the best opponent for that high level planning, but for what it's what it is, it's sort of a get your feet back, Omega. It works. It really is rad. Um, but yeah, for any year end list, expect Nazaki to be sort of high on any list I'm working with, uh, especially in regards to Japanese wrestlers. Next up, Action Wrestling. Talked about it last week with the wrestling show. With Shook, you're going down, coming up. I was excited about some of the top matches there. Well, I've not been able to finish it, the show as of yet. I will say, if any pro wrestling show has a one-two punch as good as Daniel Makabe versus Anthony Henry, J.D. Drake versus Adam Priest, I will be floored. Those two matches are great. They are, put them on your sheets Great. They are should get votes for match of the year come voices of wrestling match of the year ballot time. They're that good, I think. And Adam Priest, I, I want to talk about him just a little bit here because he really gets it. So many of these indie wrestlers right now, so many wrestlers right now don't seem to see the benefit in giving up parts of matches to be gobbled up, to really take a beating, to get the heat on them, that if they're not wrestling even, they are showing their ass. And Drake absolutely crushes Priest. Just phew, chops the crap out of him, does the senton that really you think that Priest probably can't get up because the wind's been knocked out of him. It works. 
because when Priest gets back on offense, like, the crowd is just electric, completely behind him. He's so excited to see their crowd favorite get back on his feet after taking this ass whooping and getting back into the fray and delivering blows that feel like, oh, he might have something here. And the structure of the match just works because they do, he gets momentum, he gets to have that shine, but he does get cut back down again until he's get it's the opportunity to figure out some some tactics to to maybe gain another advantage. But it isn't a situation where he ever is able to gain full control for all too long. And there's never a situation where he's really going back and forth uh, for prolonged periods of time. It's either he has it or he doesn't. And that's what really makes the match work as well. It's just the general work of it all. And then Anthony Henry versus Daniel Makabe. Kind of a clash of styles as far as technical wrestling goes. In the sense that Makabe is unlike many wrestlers out there, period. He's a grappler that sort of ties together shoot style, world of sport, uh, lucha wrestling and as far as grappling goes. And does lots of trick spots and figures out what is the tie dudes and knots and has an understanding of how to get from point A to point B in maybe unconventional ways that still functionally make sense. Where Anthony Henry is more of a, okay, I'm going to bulldoze through you and I am going to lock on the holds I want to lock on because you don't have a way of stopping me from just brute forcing myself into positions that I've deemed necessary for my victory. And then you have Makabe just like, okay, well, what if you just like put your hand here so I can put my leg there and give me 15, give me five seconds and we're going to be in a much better spot for me. It's really fun. It's really, it's great. It is going to be unlike so many matches this year as far as like a technical wrestling bout goes. And I hope they get to wrestle again this year in Middle East because I think they have a series in them that could really just whoo, be a real humdinger. Maybe just give me Adam Priest and Makabe versus the World Horsemen. That could be something. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Um, but yeah, those matches are genuinely great. And it makes me remember, hey, oh, indie wrestling is good. There are great wrestlers on the scene right now. And it's easy to forget that. I'm hopeful that both Henry and Drake do get signed by AEW eventually just because they already have a lot of talent there. Even if AEW is a little full right now, it feels like those two guys should have a spot there versus some other folks. Even if it's just like, okay, we're going to sign you to go to Ring of Honor. Those are Ring of Honor tag team champ level talents for sure. Put them in a series of matches against FTR, and I think we got something going here. We'll see. We'll see. I am looking. We're, we are only in June. We have a whole half a year to go. Lots of great wrestling to be upon us. But these two matches, particularly back-to-back, makes me just jazzed about what's what's coming up. Makes me excited about wrestling, modern wrestling, in a way I haven't been in a, in a second. So go watch these two matches. 1,000%. Then number one, I know Quinn and Tim are going to cover this in more depth and probably more eloquently than I'm going to, but... It feels like, one, got to cover my tweet of the week. Two, got to at least address it. But a Wall Street Journal report came out that 
talks of the hush money that WWE had essentially been paying certain employees to keep things, keep them hushed about sexual assault, sexual unwanted sexual advances, general misconduct from Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis. And the tunes of billions. And this is this is recently, and I think the general consensus is this is the least surprising thing to ever come out. At the same time, it did come out, and it wasn't the Wrestling Observer newsletter. It wasn't an in-network news outlet. Is the Wall Street Journal something that carries a little bit more weight, and especially with a public company? And who knows what will happen? At the end of the day, uh, the, the lot of belief on Twitter seems to be that it'll mean nothing. Vince will just kind of move along and it'll just be a footnote, if that. Obviously, when I think of things going on right now, it is one just heinous that this happened. It sucks that this is so unsurprising. But the, uh, the, the feeling is this is hopefully a tide change in the WWE to get something done that's meaningful change to that company to make it a safer place to work for all involved. While it's fair to say and necessary to probably say that removing the heads of these companies, these CEOs level folks is never like the only, the final answer. Like That should never be the one and only thing you do to try to solve these problems. Don't get, these aren't bad apples. There's structural issues here that cause these problems. I think Vince McMahon is a little bit different than some of these other CEOs. He is he's the guy. He's the person. He's the the reason we talk about this promotion at times. So I don't think it's quite the I think there needs to be more done if Vince McMahon was to be removed. But I think it's a much larger step for a WE to remove them. Kevin Dunn, any one of those high-ranking officials that have just been there a while that I might not know by name because they're not in the public light in the same way, but getting that inner, inner circle taken out, I think, would be a much larger step for WWE than it would be for some other companies, even if at the end of the day the issues are structural. Um, it also should be known that coming up, Vince McGann has a settlement conference with XFL Commissioner Oliver Luck. So things are not looking great for him at the moment. But not to make light of the situation. But I knew, do need to give Tweet of the Week to Dave Meltzer, who gets added by Atlas Ruiz 2, who says, Hey, at Dave Meltzer, WON, is this story from the Wall Street Journal legit? If so, then this would have some pretty big ramifications for WWE, the shareholders, NBC, Universal, Fox, etc. Hashtag WWE. One, just amazing to, t- to tag him and be like, hey, Wall Street Journal, is this like, is this real? And then two, Dave Meltzer, at Dave Meltzer, W-O-N. Quote, we retweets. This looks really bad. Boom, just the absolute bare minimum here. Someone someone like him and Sean Sapp have to know 
so much on these topics by now. Like nothing, none of this information should come as a, a real surprise to them. And I'm not saying he should be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I knew this from years and years ago. But at bare minimum, they've have been sitting on whispers of information for years. Not on this specifically since it's more recent, but just in general. So to come back with this looks really bad. Seems like it just doesn't doesn't have a lot of steam behind it, which makes it just just work and makes it tweet of the week. I absolutely 100% give it up to at Dave Meltzer, W-O-N. And that's an episode. That is We Don't Know Wrestling, episode 113. Go follow us on Twitter at WDKWPN. If you're like any changes to the format of this show, let me know. If you made it this far, let me know. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Give us a follow on Twitter. Give us any sort of rating you can on the app of your choice for podcast listening. It means a lot. We've got some stuff going up on the feed right now with Quentin and Tim still doing weekly episodes, but also expect some new and returning stuff coming over the next month or so. It's exciting. I'm Jazz. Thank you for listening, and I will be here in two weeks. Thank you very much.